Hello and welcome, or welcome back, thanks for not deleting us from your podcatchers, to the Support Breakfast Podcast, a fortnightly podcast for support professionals. We're back with the second season and we're shaking things up. We're still on our own journey of discovery here, so there will likely be some bumps in the road. So thanks for coming along for the ride. This season, we hope to explore a wide range of support-centric topics, share the experiences of support professionals, ask difficult questions, and hopefully answer them. This month, we're tackling worth and value, how to know your own worth, share what you're doing, continually strive for excellence, and champion the value of your team to the rest of the company. We thought it was getting dull talking about what we ate for breakfast every week because we often eat eat the same same thing. thing. (laughs) Um, So what we've decided to do going forward is recommend a breakfast recipe every week or just talk about one that we found that we're excited about, uh, which this week is coconut yogurt waffles. They're vegan and gluten-free from the Minimalist Baker. They look delicious. I have a new microphone, so hopefully my voice is coming through loud and clear and not all broken and sad. Oh, we didn't even introduce ourselves. Well, we can do that now. So do you want to do yours? I'm Sarah. I'm a product educator from Timely. And I'm Lisa. I'm a customer success champion from Gecko Board. See, we didn't talk about breakfast and the whole thing just became incredibly confusing. It did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Anyway, on with the show. The show must go on. We're lucky enough to work for companies that value our customer support teams and the contributions they make towards customers and the business itself. But what happens if you work for a company that doesn't see customer support as a contributor to revenue and just sees it as a cost center. Often the profit generating elements of proactive support are split out under the banner of success, which leaves the reactive support team understaffed and ignored. Lean often outsource cost centers that prevent churn, but don't add any revenue or drive profits for the business and can't even prove that they're preventing or reducing churn. It's often seen as an entry-level job and a way to get into the company on the ground floor. And as there's no school for customer support, except for the school of life and hard knocks, we often feel underqualified or unsure of our value in an industry that values hard skills and technical prowess. I hate the term hard skills. (laughs) Not wanting to tell people your job title in case they undervalue support is a real problem. And uh, they might think you could be doing something better with your skills. You had so much potential. Potential. Why are you wasting your life? Brandon McFadden said something in Support Driven. Um, he's so Brandon McFadden from Customer. That's Customer with a K. Um, said something in Support Driven around customer success versus customer support. I don't know if you've seen the infographic that is success versus support, and it's a very kind of basic view of things. And he said that customer success is like, like your your GP, primary healthcare supplier, while customer support is more like your trauma team, your surgeons. But actually, I think it's more like customer success is all those things you do to keep yourself healthy, eating the right foods, exercising, not sitting in front of the TV for 12 hours at a time, binging shows on Netflix. Everyone does it. Guilty. Yep. And customer support is going to the doctor And, you know, if you trip over something and your foot swells up, getting that looked at. Or if you need a physical. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you recognize if your customer support team is underperforming and fueling the idea that customer support is a cost center? Unfortunately, there are times when the cost center 
mentality and mindset can become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, in what ways can we as support professionals be made to look like a cost centre? I think, first of all, we've got to talk about metrics. Um, so low first contact resolution, uh, low customer satisfaction scores or um, NPS net promoter score ratings, high mm. effort score, ticket volume or handle time. But those metrics won't necessarily tell the whole truth, which we're going to take a closer look at. Is it later this time or next time? This at time. some point while we're covering this topic. Yeah, that's great. Um, so another thing that's really crucial is having great internal documentation for staff members and systems and processes that help support you to deliver a great experience. So if you have incomplete or really poor or lacking completely in those systems, that can really affect how you deliver support to your customers. As well as that, there's, there's external documentation, so incomplete or inaccurate or inaccessible knowledge base articles um, mm -hmm. or just documentation that's impossible for customers to find. Like there's a link, it's right down at the bottom in the footer and I guess people might look there, but it's not the first place they look for help um, or just a lack of self-service options in general. So they have to contact you if they have a problem because not everyone's going to do that. Yeah, I think that's so true. Like in working in product education, I can write all the documentation I want and make videos, but like if it's not getting in front of the customer, that's a big problem. Of course, one of the biggest issues that face that support teams face is just being under-resourced generally. So if you have not enough staff, you have to provide on-demand phone support, which is a huge time sink. If you have live chat, which is another time sink because you have to be there and available, otherwise there's no point doing it at all or if you have really unrealistic or demanding SLAs so service level agreements with your customers and clients that um, require you to meet specific demands and if your team can't do that because they don't have enough team members or they don't have enough resources to deliver that support that's a huge sort of expectation that's being let down there. You can also have unrealistic SLAs internally, like, oh, our team answers every question within two minutes. That, mm -hmm. That's something that you've agreed on, but actually is just not sustainable. Yeah. I think another big thing is when you get feedback or complaints, but they aren't passed on to the product or the development team, or they aren't yes. actions, they just go to support to die. Yes. And they collect the, or you like collect them on this bizarre Trello board and you have your all collecting all your own information, but it's not going anywhere. And you keep telling customers that you'll pass the feedback on, but the buck stops there. A, a really big thing that we should talk about an obvious thing and something that's actually very difficult in the support team to really um, affect change on. And they're sure delivering that feedback and passing that on. It's just bugs or inefficiencies or just UI or UX absolute monstrosities in the product itself. You can do amazing things by delivering great support and giving customers a good experience. But if the product they're using is terrible and they can't manage to get their way, uh, manage their way around the product without help from you, it's a band-aid solution. Tying into that, there's like resting on your laurels or being like, we don't need to know what the customers want because we have a really clear vision for our product. And mm. unwillingness to review or improve your systems and processes, both in the support team and in the company as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I think there's always something more that can be done. And you should always be striving towards pushing yourself and delivering a better service for your customers. So this is some, another thing that's really important to me um, as a product educator is having a product education or customer education strategy and making sure that that's tied in with your product marketing and that your product marketing teams uh, and your marketing team generally understand how your product works 
and know the benefits that it has to your customer. So keeping um, a good feedback loop between those two teams is great. But if you don't have a focus on marketing the product and what it does, you are going to get customers that come in that have expectations of the product that you can't deliver on. Uh, so that comes right from the top of the funnel, <laughs> just for some marketing lingo. I've been reading this book called uh, Badass. It's down there, Bill, if you could grab it for me. My house <laughs> is just piles of books. <laughs> I've been reading this book called uh, Badass, Making Users Awesome by Kathy Sierra. And it's, it's a really quick read if you want to read it. But um, one of the things it mentions is that our marketing materials tend to be detailed and like glossy and they show the customer like not the product itself but like the person that using the product will turn them into um like it's around the context so for example the the, the example in the book is uh, photography so the marketing material is like engineered to help you stay with the action and take awesome photos wherever you are even if you're climbing a cliff um <laughs> and then the support materials are like here is how the product works. Yeah, super dry. Super yeah, I dry. love Kathy Sierra. I watched a talk of hers in which she talked about customer success is all about making sure your customers are able to deliver a great experience to their customers. So you shouldn't be focused on delighting your customers. You should be focusing on letting your customers do the work that they need to do to um, delight their customers. Um, there's a great point about the difference between kind of marketing to customers and educating. I do actually think that there is a slight difference between marketing and education and the mindset that goes into it and that marketing is always going to appeal to uh, a customer's emotions and where they are and in their journey and what they want to achieve and kind of how they see themselves in the context of being a business owner. Whereas education is slightly drier <laughs> and it is all about serving them the information that they need and the and the context to understand how they can reach those outcomes so it's not necessarily targeted towards the emotional side of things but that doesn't mean that you can make everything super dry and boring like <laughs> that content has to try extra hard to be engaging for a customer because it doesn't have all the bells and whistles and it's not addressing their emotional needs so you need to be really smart about how you write and present uh, customer information education. So if this list has you going, oh yeah, I recognize that. That's something our company does. Oh no, um, don't worry because these are all great indicators of stuff you can change and do better. Exactly. Like it's a kind of like a blueprint as to where you can go now. Now that you've identified the things that you're not so happy with or uncomfortable with, you can actually start to like dig into them and make some changes and see how uh, that affects your company. Um, one thing that I did want to mention is that our creative director did this really great uh, talk within the company about um, customer trust and about how every customer kind of has a trust account, like you would have a bank account. And every interaction that the customer has, whether that's with the product itself or on our website or um, through an add-on or in a support email, either deposits or withdraws from the trust account. So if you think of every interaction that a customer has, uh, no matter how good your product is or how good your support is, the whole experience has to be taken into account. So especially if a customer has been dealing with a product and the product has a lot of inefficiencies and doesn't work the way they expected, they've been making lots of withdrawals from that trust account. And when they come to you, they might not have anything left in the bank account. So you may need to 
help them to top up or deliver a great experience to sort of top up their trust account. Yeah, a customer who's encountering their first bug with the product might forgive you, but a customer who's encountering their 20th mm-hmm. bug and yep. the system's not working exactly right for their needs and the whole thing, it just, that's going to have a huge knock-on impact for them. It does. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff builds up over time and um, every customer will come with emotional baggage. <laughs> and so do we from our experiences with that customer. So I think it's something uh, to be super mindful of when, whenever you go into those discussions. We touched on metrics and metrics is always a super hot topic. And it's something that when we did an episode on metrics is one of our highest performing episodes, <laughs> just because it's something that people are really hot on. Uh, it's something that we can measure ourselves and benchmark ourselves against uh, other companies or other industries to see how we're performing. Analytics and metrics are really, really tricky for support teams because there isn't like one metric that predicts whether or not a customer is going to be loyal or stay around or yeah, the likelihood that they're going to, they're going to stay with your business. In the last few years alone, we've jumped around from different metrics that are important. So we've gone to NPS as being the standard, which we still measure, obviously, um, but more as an entire customer experience as opposed to just being a customer support metric. Uh, then we all dabbled in CSAT, so customer satisfaction scores. So how how happy they are with the support that they've been given instead of how happy they are with the product. I think that's exactly. the key difference between CSAT and NPS. Yeah, yeah. So the, the NPS kind of is like an all-encompassing product solution. So how likely would you be to recommend me to a friend or colleague? That's kind of like the generic industry standard that we're all kind of supposed to use. I mean, for me, the jury's still out on NPS. <laughs> A metric that we're taking a look at closer now is customer effort score, CES. Um, I feel like I just need to say this whole thing again. I think you're fine. So CES, customer effort score, with, that's in many ways, that's the, the trust account that you're looking at. You're, mm. you're seeing how difficult was it for the customer to do the thing and how does that translate? Like the more difficult it is, the more trust you lose. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. yeah. And as we said before, you may need to look at a couple of different measures and metrics to really gain an insight into how the customer support team or the product on itself is, um, is performing. And we've got a great quote here uh, from an article that we'll include in the uh, show notes, which is a conversation with Matt uh, from Help Scout on the Help You site, which is awesome if you are working in customer support. The product working well is going to make customers happy and interacting with friendly, thoughtful, knowledgeable product expert staff, which will also make them happy. But you really can't measure it because it doesn't fit in a cell in a spreadsheet. Instead, we have to find other things that point to that outcome. And while it's important to be mindful of those metrics, I would encourage you to start thinking about what behaviors or attitudes make you more loyal to a business. So what things encourage you to stay with a provider and what things make you want to leave? Obviously, they might be less tangible than you'd think or that you'd like, but it's a really great starting point because we're all humans and we're motivated by similar things. While we may have different outcomes, it's really useful to know what drives you internally. And talking about what drives you internally, I was just thinking about how metrics shared with your team can either be really useful or really counterproductive. Mm -hmm. So I don't, in my experience, most people who work in support, like they don't enjoy the friendly, the friendly competition of being (laughs) judged on their first response times, for example, or how many tickets they've solved. So while it can be a useful thing to look at, I think you have to, 
in some ways take it with a grain of salt. I know I just stole the thing you're about to say, Sarah, but don't look at that one thing. I think I could probably write a blog post called Met Tricks around all the ways in which you can manipulate your scores to make your like yourself seem awesome, but mm-hmm. actually that's not helping your team. Yeah. And I actually also think like the software that you're using can dictate that quite a lot. Like when we were using user voice, they had a dashboard on the, the page. Like there's no way to like get away from it. You could see where you were kind of ranked within a team of how many replies you'd done. And if you replied within an hour, that they were called like fast replies or quick replies. And that was like a separate counter. And then they also randomly prompted users to reply to the questions with kudos if they wanted, if they liked your reply. So you had like this, these three different metrics that were there constantly. And I want to say that I'm not a competitive person, but I obviously am because I was so motivated by this. And so, but also so demoralized when I saw other people getting more kudos than me. It was literally based on an algorithm. So it wasn't like I could force people to see that kudos sign more often. Um, so it was just something that was super negative. It was making me focus on how I could look better as opposed to how I'm delivering the best service to our customers. So when we moved to Help Scout, and um, of course they have, still have great metrics, but they're not visible and they're not based on competition. Um, it was great. And as a, as a team, we decided to move away from first contact resolution specifically and sort of think about things like handle time and how long we're spending with the customer as opposed to just kind of firing off quick replies. I just wanted to quickly jump in and clarify why we decided to move away from first co- contact resolution rate because it basically suggested to us that the customer had a question that could easily be answered in, in one reply, which is something that we should have in our documentation or in our self-service model. So the conversations that we wanted to be having with customers were deeper conversations to gain insight into where their headspace was and what problems they were trying to solve uh, versus trying to just answer questions that could be easily answered in a single email. Focus on or rely on metrics like response time or happiness scores or or, or even sort of just reducing customers' conversations to transactions, like indicating what a customer can and can't do. Uh, so it's really important to kind of go beyond the metrics and the problem that you're talking about now and focus on listening to the customer and educating them about um, your product and so you, that your customers kind of get more value out of all of those interactions uh, long term. And the the great thing about support is that you can collect that you have those conversations so you can understand what makes your customers successful because eventually you're going to look beyond the kind of wooliness of trying to figure out their loyalty or their churn or retention, um, which often end up as support metrics. And instead you want to look into the behaviors that make them successful with your product or make them want to keep using you. And it's something that can be really difficult to understand even when you're looking at data because it doesn't tell the whole story. It like, it helps you gain some insight into trends, but there are other ways to gauge customer engagement or find out the purpose beyond like find out the why beyond their use of your product Um, because the successful customers if you know what makes them successful you can hopefully as well find other people that will use you in the same way for the same thing and also be successful Um, so in the cs team you're you've put the word intimate here and i just don't know how i feel about it (laughs) don't use it (laughs) Uh, so you're 
you know how your customers are using your product and you know where things are going wrong and you know the, the kinds of questions that they're answering or the kind of questions that come up time and time again where those pain points are within your product um, are there specific features they particularly want to like include or um, that longer standing customers are asking specific questions when they reach a certain point in their like lifetime use of you mm. um, so there's behaviors that can identify stickiness um, or churn risks and I think as well you should really you can get to the the why behind the feature like if you want this thing why do you want it how is it valuable to you because that's really like the best kind of insight like not understanding necessarily the the feature itself but understanding understanding the reason behind it mm -hmm. um so uh there's there's a thing called the jobs to be done framework which you may have already heard of because it's quite prevalent especially in SaaS. Uh, but it tends to be used by product or marketing teams but you can also use it within your support team you can have a read through it you can understand what what insights are useful and what to be aware of um, and approach conversations in that way. So both as a way to help your customers and to collect insights from them. And a lot of people have written about this, including Intercom, but I particularly like a blog post by Hype Innovation, which we're going to link in the show notes. Um, Sarah, you mentioned user stories, which is another approach um, where you say the format of this is generally like as a particular person doing a particular role i want to measure a particular thing so that i can do a particular thing so as a marketing manager i want to measure return on investment in my google adwords campaign campaign so i can decide which campaigns i should throw my money at um so <laughs> that's problem-based feedback so the problem is knowing which campaigns to spend money on and that's the thing that you want to nail down like what is the problem that the customer is having? Because the solution may not be what they're envisioning um, or they may not have the best solution in mind. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think as a support team, historically, I've relied a lot on customers to prompt what specific features they would like that might not necessarily address their concerns. And especially if you have a lot of customers wanting a lot of different features, it's really easy to just be like, oh yeah, maybe we can make the feature that we're developing now kind of work for the situation that you're after instead of really kind of getting to, I mean, distilling like the, distilling the essence. Oh my God, what do I, who am I? <laughs> getting right to the core of what the customer actually wants to achieve. So kind of problems that they're having and solutions that they want or even outcomes that they want um, from their business. An example of this that we ran into is customers saying, oh, I want more colors. Um, and when you really get into those conversations, most of those people want to be able to show when something needs attention. So they want a color for when they need to be paying attention to a particular thing and a different color for when like, it's successful, they're doing well. Um, they don't necessarily just want to turn things all multiple colors, although some people do. Uh, like they're looking to solve a particular problem that they're having. Yep. We've just made a switch at Timely from kind of a more traditional long burn uh, software development model to like an agile methodology, which has been quite an adjustment period for all of us. And I think it's mainly underpinning all of that is because you're changing from a solution-based feedback to problem-based feedback. And we're now looking at all of the features and all the information and, and feedback we've collected from customers that are very much in that kind of feature solution bracket and trying to like 
retrospectively or apply that feedback in the new context and realizing that we haven't been collecting the right information or haven't got a real insight into what customers are trying to achieve with that feature. And one thing and specifically I can think of is a customer attachments where you want to be able to attach a file to a customer's record or to an appointment. And we in the support team were obviously thinking, oh yeah, this would be super useful. You could attach forms if people had signed like disclaimer forms or waiver forms that they needed to include or like treatment plans or making more detailed notes. Mm -hmm. But like when you actually ask the customer the actual outcome that they're trying to achieve, you're like, oh, actually they really want to be able to collect customer information in a form, but have that all feed into the customer's record without having to double into that information or without having to like go through each appointment and view an attachment to get the information that they need. So while we were thinking of these kind of solutions, what a feature that could be a solution to a whole bunch of different circumstances, we realized that we're actually looking at two very different issues and like, which are the, which is the one that is more beneficial or applies more to the core industries that we're focusing on. So it's been, yeah, quite a shift for us. We kind of touched on this earlier, talking about situations in which your product isn't performing or you're not solving the problems that your customers are having or your price point is too high or maybe customers are leaving and you don't really understand why. The first thing that's really good for getting on top of that is to gain insight into kind of why your customers are leaving. I don't know about you, Lisa, but in my experience, the easiest way to convince a development team or a product team of an issue or something that's not working, it's data. You just need a bunch of cold, hard facts, hunches or like tacit insight uh, or kind of feelings and emotions about a situation or like ad hoc conversations. Don't really like hack it when you're trying to convince a no, team member of a feature no, they don't um we have a lot of customers ask us about this isn't the same or i'm gonna do the same job as 37 people this week asked about this um, yeah, but can i just say things. while i have the microphone i love it when you say <laughs> data data it's adorable i don't know why is it that is it Amer i don't even know if i'm saying it the american way or if there's another way <laughs> just a weird bizarre new zealand way of saying so what do you say i say data and you say data Yes. Okay. Maybe I'll try to say data. No, I like it when you say data. <laughs> Getting back on topic. <laughs> we are recording reasons for cancellations is something that we've actually gone through like multiple iterations at Timely. It's something that we've taken a look at and reviewed multiple times. And it's something that we'll continue to look at. We have a built-in process. So when people go to cancel their account, they'll be asked for a reason why they want to cancel their account and prompted to give some feedback there. Um, that's mainly because it's almost impossible to get that feedback once the customer has already canceled. Like we do try to send like a follow-up message, especially to our kind of core and target industry or big customers to see if we can suss out more, more kind of usable feedback into why they don't want to stick around. But um, those replies get read. They definitely get read, we know, but they don't often like sort of encourage any engagement there. And you may just want to start with a couple of sort of preset uh, reasons that you think are things or hunches that you might have about why people are leaving the product and then see the information that you're getting from that and kind of keep reviewing it because we had like a feature not available or we had too expensive as a reason but then we realized that people were using too expensive as a reason to explain when their business wasn't performing as much or they had a seasonal business so we like reviewed it again and made it like I'm still developing my business was a reason or like I have a 
seasonal business was my reason. So you kind of just like start to like iterate on that and see if you can get uh, as much insight as possible. And it's going to be super uncomfortable to get that feedback (laughs) or to find out that things that you thought you were doing really well, you're not actually doing that well, especially in a support uh, context. If you're literally getting feedback that your support is terrible or that it's slow or it's not as good as it could be. Um, But it's, it's really important to recognize when things aren't going well and when things aren't working. Lisa? You can also say that the, say that customers say that the problem is your support. It could Mm. be that your support is great, but you're not setting the right expectations for customers. So if Mm. it looks like you have live chat and actually your like internal SLA is that you get back to customers within two hours, the customer who has waited two hours for a reply to what they thought was a live chat message is going to have a really poor experience compared to the customer who sent an email, got an auto response saying, we generally reply within two hours and then has an email two hours later. Like mm. the customer who sent the email is going to think your service is great because you're lower, like you're faster than other customers. The customer with the live chat is going to think your service is terrible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Managing expectations and setting expectations is like one of the, I think that's like the biggest skill or the biggest focus of really working in customer support. And that's, that's so true. I mean, I'm thinking in particular of systems like Intercom, which kind of look like live chat, but aren't actually live chat. <laughs> and you're getting into that sort of um, awkward area where people are thinking that, yeah, they're getting a live chat, but they're actually getting an email response uh, sometime after. And I kind of think that in all business, but in like sort of startup realm, there's this real mindset of if it isn't broke, don't fix it. And that works particularly well for punishing support teams, um, even if they are performing um, and, and kind of under-resourcing them and preventing them from being able to deliver even a, an even better service or to kind of like proactively provide support to customers instead of reactively shedding a light onto where things are, are working and kind of bringing that to the attention of the, of the people who are making the decisions uh, can be a good conversation starter or it's a good motivator. But also if it is broke, do fix it. So yes, you want to make sure you're <laughs> tracking bugs, not just triaging them. Um, I'm stealing this section from you. I hope you don't mind, Sarah. Um, <laughs> but if you have a bug and you triage it and then you forget about it until you receive a reply and then you get back to the customer, uh, that's not necessarily helping you uh, because things like how many customers are affected by a bug, how many bugs are found each month and how many of those are fixed versus... Um, marked as like oh we're not going to fix this or try and convince the customer that this is a feature um knowing those sorts of figures can really help you out in terms of understanding why customers might be leaving so if you encounter a bug during a free trial for something and it's never fixed you're not coming back at the end of that trial um so atlassian tracks something called the user impact score uh, which is the number of active mm-hmm. users affected uh, is it multiplied by the severity um, and 90 day recent interest? I like how many requests were there in the last 90 days? Yes. That was a really cool wee insight from um, a help scout webinar that Matt did with them. Oh my gosh. I can't remember anyone's name. This is so terrible. I should have prepared this. This is Sarah from the future popping in to say that webinar was called Turning Customer Conversations into Actionable Product Insights. That had Matt Patterson from Help Scout, as well as Jake Bartlett from Atlassian and Mary Jantz from Tough. But Atlassian actually has a 
dedicated kind of support analysis team um, called the Service Enablement Team, which sounds like uh, an absolutely cool name. <laughs> Lisa's like, I'm not impressed. <laughs> it's, it's just so corporate. I it just, is very corporate, isn't it? I mean, but basically what that team does is takes all of the, the data. There we go. That support data, <laughs> that support generates kind of through their tagging and through conversations or through Trello cards or things they filed or like Git responses or I don't actually know anything about Git, so I don't know why I'm pretending I do. They interpret that information and gain insight into what's going on there. So actually having a dedicated function or a team uh, that focuses on analyzing that is super important <laughs> because otherwise you're just making um we've talked a little bit about tagging in the past but if you're just like kind of tagging and bagging and never thinking about that stuff again then um there's no, no point in just like mindlessly tagging stuff no you're not adding any value no no i don't think i have anything else i, I mean we do have a whole like two more oh my pages gosh, worth yes, of notes do. um but we're splitting your top we're splitting up I can't say the word splitting. Oh my God. Um, we're splitting our topics up into two episodes. Um, so for every month, you'll get a single topic in two episodes, one delivered every two weeks. I don't know what we're going to do when the month has five weeks. I'm, I guess Ooh, we'll figure it out. Um, but so we can make sure there's plenty of time for us to cover the topics in like the kind of detail that we want to be covering them without forcing you to listen to a 90 minute podcast. I mean, some <laughs> people can probably pay attention for that long, but I am definitely not one of them. No. So yeah, um, new plan. Uh, you can uh, let us know how you find this. Uh, Sarah's going to tell you our contact details in a minute. Uh, but let us know your thoughts on this change. We'll be back next time with some steps you can take to prove the value of customer support to the rest of your company or to your board or even just to your own team. In the meantime, our homework is to take a look at where your team is right now and whether there are any easy wins you can implement based on what we've said. So you can find us on supportbreakfast.com or you can send us an email to hello at supportbreakfast.com or connect with us on Twitter at supportbreaky. That's support, B-R-E-K-K-I-E. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, so you can also subscribe to the podcast on anywhere that there are podcasts. Just search for Support Breakfast. So if you like the show and want to donate to keep, help us keep things afloat with hosting, etc., that would be really awesome. You can send us a few pounds at supportbreakfast.com slash donate. Our intro and outro music is Drops of H2O, the filtered water treatment by Jay Lang. And then you can also connect with us individually on Twitter. You can find me, Sarah, at Sarah Lee H, S-A-R-A-H, L-E-Y-H. You can find me at Gentle Thorns. That's the word gentle and then the word thorns. And they're smushed together because my real name was taken by someone else with my name, I guess. How dare they? I know, so rude. Um, and you can also find Dave, who is not part of this month's episodes, but will hopefully be back next month. Uh, he's at Dave Chapman, uh, D-A-V-E-C-H-A-P-M-A-N. Woohoo! Thanks for joining us and for your patience while we got our stuff together. <laughs> we look forward to jumping into some really actionable insights. Oh, there we go. There's a nice wee term uh, in our next episode.